That is why we are here for him. He's pretty spectacular, isn't he? He's done so much for us and we're grateful for him. Do you realize he's coming back again? He's coming back. You know, it's, it is interesting though that we, um, sometimes we can get a little bit jaded or maybe even a little bit um, complacent or a little bit like, when people start talking about the return of Jesus, like, okay, we knew this back in 2000, right? Jesus is coming back 2000. We heard this back in, you know, 2011, all these different dates and times. Well, first of all, the Bible says nobody knows the hour or the time, but he comes like a thief in the night, which means you don't know when he's coming, but he's going to come swiftly and he's looking for a church that's prepared. Interestingly enough, though, that uh, Jesus tells us a parable of the ten virgins. And, and can it be, is it possible that actually half of the church is going to miss his return? Five of them came prepared with oil in their lamps, and five chose, for whatever reason, to not be prepared. Why is it that we say as a church, helping you get ready to meet Jesus face to face? Truly because there will be a moment in time where we meet Jesus face to face. It's either on his return, coming back to earth, or when we pass away from natural death or some other death. But the times are increasingly getting very interesting, and I, I don't want you to get to a place of complacency of saying, well, we've heard about it before, right? How many generations have said that Jesus is coming back in their generation? Is it really going to be our generation? Well, we don't know, but we do know the signs of the times are becoming pretty, pretty spectacular in the sense of time is ticking down. We're coming to the end. And so Second Peter not only gives us some, some instruction here as we're on this series, 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. But my concern was, how is it that Jesus told that parable in Matthew 25 of the 10 virgins? And some of them were like, hey, uh, the five virgins that came prepared, now who are the virgins? They, they may be, you know, they're pure, they're the church, I would say. The oil, what does the oil represent? Maybe the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not going to get into that. But, but the reality is five were, were ready to come in to meet Jesus for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And five were kept in the outskirts who didn't have the oil. I think we want to be prepared. We, we, we do not want to become complacent. We want to be with anticipation ready. And so 2 Peter chapter 3, this is what it says. This is uh, now the second letter I am writing to you. Remember, there's 1 Peter, now 2 Peter. Beloved, in both of them I am stirring up in you sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets in the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that first of all, 
The scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Remember in chapter 2, we said that many will be deceived by false prophets, people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And he says, many, and we looked at each other and says, are you the many, right? And uh, we said, no, we're not going to be the many who are going to be deceived. But is there some correlation that many are deceived and then, then somehow there's five virgins that can then enter that their lamps are full prepared and five that weren't prepared. And then he says there's going to be scoffers. There's going to be ones like, really, you believe that? You believe that? They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things, all things are ever continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. I think I've said that. Maybe you have too. It's like, really? If they're talking about Jesus' return some 2,000 years ago, and now we're talking about today, is it really going to be any different? There's been wars and rumors of wars in times and generations past, right? We, we would kind of get this idea of like, nothing's going to change. But Peter's warning us. He's warning us. He says, there's going to be scoffers. And this is what they're going to say. They're going to say, really, from the beginning of time, has anything changed? For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God, in that by the means of these, the world that, um, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So here he's talking about, first of all, I love this. He says that the world was created by the word of God. Here's Peter reemphasizing what happened in Genesis. Then he goes on to say, and remember by the word of God, a flood came and wiped everybody out except Noah's family. So he's reminding us like, okay, well, don't say everything was normal from the get-go because there are these, these times and places that some significant events took place by the word of God. Do you not think that by the word of God that Jesus will come like a flash, like a thief in the night, and he will come and everything will be different? Who would be ready? Who would be ready? But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now existed are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment, the destruction of the ungodly. So what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? There's going to be a millennial reign, a reign of Jesus on earth for a thousand years. Before that, there's going to be a tribulation, a seven-year tribulation, and it might, the Christians might go before the tribulation um, takes place, it might be three and a half years, pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-tribulation, that we would stay through the tribulation. A lot of different views on that. To me, I'm not going to get hung up on that. I just want to be faithful to Jesus. When you're ready, Jesus, you take me. I'll go with you. But I want to be prepared if I have to go through some difficult times that I would not deny the one who saved my soul. Because he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's faithful and true. So after the thousand years, so tribulation, then he's reigning for a thousand years. Um, the enemy is bound for those thousand years. 
But in that moment, there are still Christians, so not Christians, there are still humans. I would say Christians are on the earth too with him, but there are humans who have a sinful nature that can still do sinful things, even though the enemy is bound. So after the thousand years, then there's this great white throne judgment. And in this judgment, there is going to be an opportunity that all of our works, when Pastor Richie was saying, we need to ask ourselves the questions, is there, do I need to be doing something more? We know that we're not saved by our works. We're saved for good works. We're saved by grace through faith through Jesus Christ, but then we're saved for good works. And our works are going to have this opportunity to come before the Lord and there was going to be in this fire, there's going to be things that will be burned up and things that will remain. I, I love there's a couple of verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It speaks to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, sorry, verse 12. It says this. Well, I'll go to verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work has anyone, sorry, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, the foundation of Jesus Christ, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though himself would be saved, but only as through fire. He wants us to be diligently working for his kingdom. Then in Romans chapter 2, it says this. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and the Greek, or the Jew and the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and then to the Greek or the Gentile, for God shows no partiality. Here he is, he's saying, a follower of Jesus, would you pursue not only him and pursue salvation, but pursue good works, that in this time, there's going to be these judgments. When we come to, um, to meet Jesus face to face, we don't know if all judgment is going to be at the great white throne judgment where all of our works are going to be put before him. But that's why we say we're getting you ready to meet Jesus face to face. And then we say three things. We're, we're helping you to realize that you have a call to reach people who are lost, people who don't know Jesus. It's a parable of the lost son, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep. We have a part to play in that. Then we also have in this, this idea, Matthew 25, which is the same place of the 10 virgins of his return. And he's saying, these are the things that I want you to do unto me as much as you've cared for the people in prison, the widow, the orphan, 
reaching the least of these. He says, as much as you've done it for the least of these, you've done it to me, and this is what he's looking for. Then he talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats in that same section, right? Who are the sheep and who are the goats? And they might be nations or they might be individuals. And they're marked by the way that we care for one another, care for those on the margins, care for those who need our love and compassion. And then training the found, which is go make disciples, right? Train the found. How do we continue to pursue? And that's why I love you guys who are in life groups and are leading life groups. You're, you're living that out, training the found. So these are works that he wants us to do, but, but here it is. He's saying, don't let the scoffers come around and say, all right, been there, done that. We've heard that Jesus is coming and is he really gonna come this time? And it takes away, you have an attitude like that, it takes away the sense of urgency. But I wanna let you know there, there's, of any time, there is a sense of urgency. <laughs> You realize last week, I believe it was last week, three red heifers were shipped to Israel from Texas. That was part of the preparation for this third temple that's going to be built. That they need these red heifers as, as indicated in uh, numbers, that these pure sacrifices are needed. And remember the Jews still don't have this, the, not the Messianic Jews, they would know Jesus, but the Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah to come are believing that the process of that is to establish the sacrificial system again in in a third temple. But that is setting the stage. And you want to know what, keep your eyes on Israel. Israel, first of all, uh, we should be praying for Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And the next thing is we need to just be saying, God, what is your, what is your time? But I believe that we, we can just be preparing ourselves that he can come back any moment. Well, uh, I thought there's another scripture that says until the whole world has heard that Jesus is, is, is king, that, you know, the whole world hasn't been evangelized yet, but maybe when he comes in a flash that the whole world will see who Jesus is. So don't get too heady and think about all these little things have to happen. I think it could happen at any moment in any time, the return of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to 1 Peter Sorry, Second Peter. It says this, but do not overlook to this fact, beloved, that the that the Lord with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. For the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. You know, I think this is, what, this is one I've held on to so dearly in my life, is it's the heart of God. Why is he, why is he patient in his return? Is because he knows once he's returned, there's some things that get set in stone. And he's saying, his heart is that none should perish. His heart is that, that all would come to a place of repentance and know him as, as Lord and Savior. But the other thing is a, is a day is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. This is not, I'm going to give you a thought. It's not necessarily, it's biblical, but it's not theological. Let me just give you a thought. I run the risk of this. But anyways, so, so creation was um, created in, or God made creation happen in how many days? 
Seven, okay. He also gave us uh, a week, and on the seventh day we rest, like uh, in creation of the seventh day he rested. The interesting thing, a day is like a thousand years. So the, the, man, the time before Jesus came to earth was 4,000 years. The time since Jesus came to earth is, is 2,000 years-ish. I do think it may be plausible that this time of the, the millennial reign of Jesus on earth where he sets up his kingdom and he reigns with justice and kindness and, and the way that a good ruler would reign. Could that be a, a season of rest for the world? So could it be that, that we are approaching that seventh year of rest by Jesus's return? I don't know, that's what I'm saying. We don't really know. I just thought that it was a little interesting thought. Okay, nobody else thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. All right, carry on. You can't go wrong by reading the scripture though, right? Stay away from my own head thoughts and let's stick to the scripture. Okay. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, meaning that is the... Oh, actually, let me go back. This will... um, I missed this verse. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are um, done on it will be exposed. So again, here's the exposing, the fire exposes our works. We do know that after a thousand years, the millennial reign, there will be this final great white, white throne judgment and there will be a creation of new heavens and a new earth. I don't really understand what that will look like, but the scripture says that those things will dissolve away and he'll create a new heaven and a new earth. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for the waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. So basically he's saying, as we're waiting, but we can also hasten his coming by living holy and godly lives. The scripture says, be holy as I am holy. Not as Mark is holy. Mark is not holy. <laughs> but I'm pursuing holiness. Be holy as Jesus is holy. Be holy as God is holy. Now we know that it's through Jesus that our complete holiness is obtained, right? We are made right and righteous through Jesus Christ. But there is something that he wants us to pursue righteousness. He wants us to pursue holiness. He wants us to pursue godliness. I think as Christians, we, it's too easy to say, well, Jesus has taken care of it. Right? We've been there. We've said that, right? Jesus has taken care of it. I can go kind of live the way I want to live, and Jesus will take care of it. Well, if Jesus is going to take care of it, why does he say that we should be people of holiness and godliness? That we should be pursuing this, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. I wonder if that is the pursuit, that is the preparedness of the ten virgins who add oil in their lamps. I'm wondering if they're like, hey, you know what? I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I want to seek after this holiness and this righteousness.
waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. I wonder if that's why, as Pastor Richie talked about, as we sing holy, 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 this preparedness of just saying, you know, I know, I know if, if you're like me, it's like, that doesn't sound that exciting that we just sit around and worship holy, holy, holy all day long. But when we get to see actually who he is in his fullness and a majesty, then we realize, oh my word, we will not want to do anything else but do that because of seeing his, his glory and his majesty. And we get to be able to worship him in the fullness But in our humanity, we don't quite get that yet. We don't quite understand that full picture. But know that it will be good and it'll be uh, pleasant and it will be just so filling and life-giving. So Peter's final words, he says um, this, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these waiting for his return, be diligent and to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. There's some other qualities he's saying, okay, as we're waiting for him, pursue this holy life. Be at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. In other words, saying, go back to that scripture ahead of time. He says, okay, if it hasn't happened yet, it's because he's patient because his heart is that none should perish. He's waiting for more to come in. And he's, he's, saying, he's asking us to participate in that, to share Jesus with people, to invite them to know him, to invite them into his kingdom. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to you, as he does in all the letters when he speaks of them, of those matters. I read some of you there from 1 Corinthians and Romans. Those are his letters to the church in Corinth and the church in Rome. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. As they do not... Do as they do, sorry, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, so there's people who twist the scriptures. We talked about that. Those are the false prophets. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior. Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And before we say amen as a congregation, I want to jump on this idea. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've heard this expression, grow in the grace. Grow in the grace. I, I was pondering that a little bit this morning. So I was preparing this, grow in the grace. It's almost like somehow, if you just read it like that way, that somehow we've got to grow to have more grace. Like we've got to somehow grow into this grace. 
But I believe, I believe it's actually saying that God's grace, remember another scripture says God's grace is sufficient for you? Meaning God's grace is already there. We just need to grow up into it. That his grace is already there, that we need to grow to the fullness and the acknowledgement of the grace that is already sufficient for us, that is already present for us. I think sometimes we sit and say, God, I need more of your grace. I need more of your grace. His grace is, there's not more or less of it. His grace is grace. It's full. It's complete. His grace is, we just need to grow up into his grace. That we need to acknowledge the grace he has for us and grow. That we, we don't need to be saying, oh, Jesus will take care of it and keep living unstable, like one foot in the world and one foot in the church and, and, and you know, listening to everybody else talk and not listening to what the word of God says. We have to be stable and grow into this full grace that God has already given you and then into the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Remember, remember this, that that they'll be saying, people will be saying, Lord, didn't I do all this in your name? Cast out demons, heal people in your name. And what is he going to say to them? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. That knowing is that intimate knowing. And so, so that seems awfully hard that, that he would just say, depart from me, I never knew you. When, when we've been trying to do all these things for you, God. See, it, it first and foremost is, has to do with a relationship with our, with our Father in heaven and our relationship with Jesus. So when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, spending time in his word, spending time with the fellowship of the saints, and that really just means be around other Christians. They're going to encourage you, equip you, and build you up. And not allow the, the tricks of the, the enemy and the false prophets to deceive you. And then we're going to grow up in grace, meaning we're going to mature to walk into this place that we can actually begin to start saying, um, I'm pursuing holiness. I'm pursuing righteousness. So we have grown in our the grace and understanding of who the Lord Jesus, our Savior, is. So, so at the end, whether he returns or whether we pass on, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Interesting, he says servant. Not only does he call us friend, but he also places this idea of, of we're here to follow him that we're here to hear the voice of our master and respond to him, that we die to our own fleshly pleasures, that we die to our own will. Not my will, but your will be done. Once again, the scripture says he will come like a thief at night. Now, he's not a thief. He's just saying he will come like, meaning when you're at home or not at home and a thief comes and steals and breaks into your house, you're not expecting it. Otherwise, you would have put guards around your house that night, right? <laughs> he's going to say, no, he's going to come like a thief in the night, which means it's like you don't know the hour or the time, but live prepared. As I said, there's some very fascinating things that are taking place right now in our world. 
and I'm going to be held accountable, quite frankly, to, to how well I am preparing you <laughs> to meet Jesus face to face. And I want to, all right, thank you for the encouragement. So it's one thing, it's one thing for me, to, for you to hear my words and, and instruct you in the word. It's another thing that you have to live it out though. You can applaud me all day long. Good job, Pastor Mark. Good job, Pastor Mark. And I take that as affirmation of like you feel challenged and you're growing. And I thank you so much. But I know for me, as a human being, take away the pastor title here, right? I'm another human being like you who wrestles with flesh and blood sometimes. And we have an enemy. We all have a common enemy. It's named Satan. I'm not coming up here saying that somehow I've got it figured out and somehow I've, I'm, I've risen to some occasion. I'm just saying I want to be faithful to what God's word says and I want to help you to point your attention to what the word of God says and then help us to be, be prepared. But each one of us are going to have to walk out of here today making a determination in our own heart and mind to say, I'm pursuing the one. I'm pursuing Jesus with all my heart. That when I fail, that when I stumble, I brush myself off quickly, I repent. See, God, he's not so, he's not so much about the mistake. He's, he's about when the mistake starts to own us and we, we're not quick to repent. Repentance is where it's at. We need to continue to turn our hearts to say, man, my flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. I repent, God. I want more of your spirit. I don't want to keep tripping up the way I am. I want to be holy as you're holy. I want to live righteous. I want to be spotless. I want to be blameless. And that's the pursuit, even though that we wrestle against our own flesh. And when we do that through the grace, growing in grace, he will help us to be ready for his return. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your heart on his word. Live with intentionality. Ask yourselves this question. Am I doing the works that he's created me to do? God said he, he has created each one of us to have works before the beginning of time to be lived out and worked out in preparation, not only for his return, but in preparation for when we meet him face to face, he's going to say, well done good and faithful servant. You have done the very things that I have purposed your life to do. So be encouraged. I look around and you know, even though there were five virgins who weren't prepared, you, Grace Capital Church, are the five that are prepared. I know you are because you are have oil in your lamps. You are prepared. You're seeking him and you're being diligent to pursue Jesus. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.